It's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdly, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. And indeed, we are your crown jewel here at WABC Talk Radio 77. Welcome. It is our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. You are welcome to take part in the program. All you have to do, pick up your telephone at any point during the show. 800-848-WABC is the number to call. 800-848-WABC. And certainly there's a lot of news this Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, yeah, the usual. The, the The country is still recoiling from the shootings in Colorado and the Walmart shooting. There are, are some advances in the story on the Walmart shooting. I mean, this guy is was was. I don't know. I don't know. Could be evil. Could be twisted. Could be mentally deranged. Could be all of the above. He said that he felt like. Satan was leaving him, which is believable. Um, and he, I don't know. There are also stories about the economy and why Black Friday shoppers aren't finding doorbuster deals this year. Huh, yeah, why not? Hmm. Early signs point to a more muted uh, uh, Thanksgiving weekend than last year. People spent $5.3 billion online, and the online spending was up almost 3% from last year. That's according to Adobe Analytics, which tracks spending on websites. But a lot of people are out door-busting, and they're not finding the kind of deals that they used to get. By the way... Somebody was ahead of the curve on saying that the deals didn't look like deals. I I remember doing a show just a little bit ago saying, you know, I don't see these kind of deals. Like, I've been tracking um, certain appliances. And they what they're calling deals were the same prices they were offering all year. They're not deals. The same freaking prices. Many stores, of course, were closed on Thanksgiving. Retailers prepared for the big surge yesterday. And um, there are some people, well, you know, Stephen Lebowitz, the chief executive of Mall Owners CBL and Associates and Property, said that this is the closest thing to a normal Black Friday we've had in several years. Yeah, well, COVID, the past two years, Doorbusters scare people away right now. They don't want to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to go mingle with a crowd. And you've got all kinds of things going on out there. Apparently, there's a real, this is an interesting flu season. And there's this other thing, I forget what it's called, this respiratory illness that is affecting a lot of kids around the country. And there are people that are still suffering with COVID symptoms. So this year, Black Friday advertisements that used to use the word doorbuster, they're only about half as many as they used to be. So I don't know. Deal or no deal, are you finding the deals out there? FTX is still in the news. We're going to get to that. Apparently, FTX has been funding 
media outlets. Now, it's very funny when you see the reporting on that. Because now that the scam has been uncovered, now that it's all bankrupt and bust, all of a sudden comes to light where the money, some of the money has been going. Companies like Vox, nice little left-wing organization, ProPubica, who points its finger at everybody. I have friends, liberal friends, that are are journalists, and they just love this ProPubica bit. Or ProPublica, whatever you want to say. ProPubic, as far as I'm concerned. Apparently, they've been having their little handout for money from FTX, too. The people that wag their finger at everybody else and claim to be the holier-than-thou journalist in the liberal community. And then there's The Intercept. Their little news website was supposed to get $3.5 million. And by the way, this money is funneled through a nonprofit group. They the, over at the intercept, they're saying that um, they got five hundred grand from this um, uh, Sam Bankman Freed. They expected another two hundred fifty thousand in December, and all this money, these grants, were given through a philanthropic entity, yeah, called Building a Stronger Future Foundation, mm-hmm. building more Democrats. Is what really building more liberals. So, and then of course, in this article, during his time as FTX CEO, Sam Bankman Frieden was a regular present at major summits, appearing with the likes of Bill Clinton. Anywhere there's money, anywhere there's money, especially if it's money of, well, don't let me say that. Any Anywhere there's money, political money, floating around for the taking, why are we not surprised that Bill Clinton's hanging out in the bunch? No one has ever followed through on all the allegations of where the money from the Clinton Foundation went, was spent, and was gotten. We need to catch up with Peter Schweitzer one of these days. ProPublica, which was also a beneficiary, ProPublica, Publica was also a beneficiary of Sam Bankman Freedom. They issued a statement on its grant agreement. They say they are owed, owed $3.3 million from Sam. They received $1.7 million. This guy's just handing out money. And if you are bankrupt and if you lost your money in this, why don't you try to claw it back from some of these liberal groups? Why don't you head on over, get yourself a lawyer if you can afford it. Go head back to some of these little groups like old ProPublica and Vox and The Intercept and see whether you can get some of that money. Because apparently these people were spending your money. Step Curry, 
did a lot of commercials from them. There are lawsuits around some of the celebrities. Giselle Bunchen and Tom Brady were among, as Larry David. Yeah. And so already there are lawsuits regarding some of the endorsements. Also, there was another big story about FTX and how it really hurt the Bahamas, which I find curious. Because, you know, Democrats love waving this racism thing around. It's in their handbook. Anything, anytime they get into a jam, racism, just use racism. No matter what it is, just say it's racist. Well, the Bahamas is what? A nice little Caribbean island nation, as it's described in some of the mainstream press. I'm trying to see, what is this from the Amazon Prime Washington Post, or is this from, uh, no, this is from the Wall Street Journal. Crypto firm FTX landed in the Bahamas with a bang, and now the Bahamas is picking up the pieces. Island Nation encouraged crypto companies to set up shop, but FTX's collapse has left many idleness feeling frustrated. Here's the long and short of this story. These guys were living like kings. They went there, they had flashy cars, leasing a fleet of cars for its employees to drive. They snapped up units in one of the luxury resorts, private neighborhoods. Now that they've declared bankruptcy, the money's dried up. The local caterers, the drivers, the cleaners, everybody that worked getting some of that FTX money, getting that Bankman Freed money, they're all broke. Normally, we would see pictures of these people if it's in the mainstream press. We would hear their hard luck stories. Remember Enron? Remember Enron, what they did to Skilling, what they did to all these people? That's what it was like. Look how they hurt the little people, and the the proxy war that was going on with the left was see these evil Republican corporate types. They hurt the little people. Where are all the stories now? Where are the where are they? Where are the stories of the lives affected? The little people, not the big people like Clinton. He's just going to move on to the next grift. But where are the stories about all the little people that got that got hurt by these scammers, by this liberal scam? Where are their pictures? Why don't we see wall-to-wall, picture after black person, after black person, after black person, the drivers, the cleaners, the maids, the housekeepers, the gardeners, the little people, not the executives. Although it wouldn't hurt to put a few of those pictures in there, too. But why don't we see those profile pictures about all the little people that old Bankman freed and these liberals hurt? Then you're not going to see them. Because that much truth the liberals do not want. Not at all. 
Here's a Thanksgiving horror story. Didn't happen here. It happened down in Mississippi. United Furniture Industry laid off all 2,700 workers while they were sleeping. Oh, yeah. They went to, went to work one day when they woke up. This story is in the Post today. Big United States furniture company this week fired all of its 2,700 employees while they were sleeping, telling them in text and emails not to come to work the next day. The mass firing, that happened on Tuesday by United Furniture Industries. They make budget-friendly sofas and recliners for Simmons. Left thousands of employees, including truck drivers and factory workers in North Carolina, Mississippi, and California, unemployed two days before Thanksgiving. This is the text. Imagine waking up to this text. At the instruction of the Board of Directors, we regret to inform you that due to unforeseen business circumstances, the company's been forced to make a difficult decision to terminate the employment of all of its employees. Effective immediately. With the exception of over-the-road drivers that are out for delivery, your layoff from the company is expected to be permanent, and all benefits will be terminated immediately without provision of COBRA. They don't even get COBRA health insurance. They're just gone, done, bye, get out, good luck. And drivers were told they'd be paid for the remainder of the week. They should immediately return equipment, inventory, and delivery documents. One driver was arrested in Monroe County on suspicion of taking furniture off of a truck after he was laid off. Not clear why the two-decade-old company dissolved its operation so suddenly. But over the summer, it had fired its chief executive, its chief financial officer, and executive vice president of sales, according to FurnitureToday.com. Several weeks later, 500 employees lost their jobs at multiple facilities in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, Verona, Mississippi, Victorville, California. On Tuesday, the workers were told, hey, you can come in and get your stuff. That's about it. So, happy Thanksgiving. You're fired. Not even a turkey for you. Of course, there will be lawsuits stemming from this, too. And if the board of directors made that decision, somebody knew somewhere, sometime, that this company was in deep trouble. Time to take a quick break. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-WABC. The political news is out here, too. Democrats want to keep the spotlight on abortion, apparently, in 2024. They think it's a great issue. And then there's old Chasen Buttigieg and all that, and Tucker and, and, and this Colorado. Everybody's been trying to blame the right wing for this Colorado shooting. Then when the guy came out and said, that he doesn't have any gender, that he's whatever they call the, the whatever, uh, the, what is it that they call themselves? Yeah, thank you. I can't keep up with this stuff anymore. Non-binary. It's still one of the stupidest things ever. I, the non-binary. Um, then 
all everything stopped. We played Allison Kamo thingy from CNN. I don't know quite what to th- say about this. Because when you take their narrative away, they don't have anything to say. Well, they've been out blaming Tucker among every, and especially they love picking on Tucker because Tucker's so visible. And he does such an effective job. And Tucker actually called Buttigieg out. I said, you know, hey, why were you lying about your about your gender before? And of course, if you call Buttigieg out, his husband has to come to the rescue, old Chasten. So now it's a two on one fight, Chasten and Pete Buttigieg. I've yet to see one thing that Pete Buttigieg has done during his tenure in the Biden administration that's worthwhile. But anyway, that's on the whole Colorado thing. 800-848-WABC. I wonder if Derek awake. It's, you know, it's, 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 he's supposed to be writing his column on Saturdays. We learned. This is when he has quiet time. But I wonder if this Thanksgiving weekend, if Derek stayed up late and was out partying again all night, we'll find out. We'll call him, and if he's if he's if, if he's sleep, we'll wake him up, or try to anyway. James Golden, aka Sterling, here with you. It is our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. We are coming back right after this. Entertaining and informative. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, is on the air. 77 WABC. Uh, Super Train brings us back on WABC. It's our Saturday morning. When I was young, it seemed that life was so wonderful. Radio is traveling again, sir. Oh, I had a person on Twitter, one. Hey, they wanted to know how to how it went with you, Scott. They wanted to know if you uh, snatched cock your uh, bird. I did. Uh, the wife did. Yeah. It turned out okay. Yeah. It. Uh, the wings still didn't cook. Uh, the wings are toast, but the, the breast meat was delicious after uh, six hours of cooking after the... Uh, Wait a minute. I thought if you did the thing, cock it, you cocked your bird, it's supposed to cook faster. I think there's a technique to saving the wings because they can't cook for six hours, and we didn't get that far in the video. Well, next time you'll watch the whole video now, won't you? Got to do something. I'm not sure what. Yeah. Derek Hunter is awake, ladies and gentlemen. Derek, you didn't party all night last night. It's not that Derek Hunter is awake. It's that Derek Hunter was awakened by your call. (laughs) So my dedication to our friendship got me out of bed. We We woke you up. You did. I was I, up at six, and I went back to bed. Long night last night, huh, Derek? Yeah, my eighty-three-year-old father and two of my sisters and brother-in-law are out here. So, yeah, not a long night. It was uh, a tryptophan weekend. This is what it's been so far, but I'm enjoying it. And I, I didn't burn. I, I too crisped my wings. I didn't burn them. I used a rotisserie to cook my bird. But, uh, yeah, I, this is the first year I'd ever heard of that spatchcock thing where you slice it in half, flatten it out. I don't know. It it seems interesting, but I didn't go down that road. 
Well, apparently it still takes if you if you do it the way Scott. I don't know because I had a vegetarian Thanksgiving meal that was delightful. Yeah, I was gonna say you don't eat you don't eat what you have beans and stuffing stovetop. No, no tofu. Tofu was always good, but we didn't have. But no, we had so much stuff. It was it was in my niece and my nephew. They cooked from morning to night. It was amazing, and it was it was the spread was so large I can't even begin to tell you, including the candied yams, the mac and cheese. The um the vegetarian the vegetable stuff that was there the cranberry stuff all of it all of it and it was delicious. Now wait a second, you, you said you couldn't begin to tell us, and then you began to tell us. Well, okay, so I couldn't tell you all of it is what I should have said. All right, now I, how many did, different cheeses are in the mac and cheese? Because I know some people that go up to seven cheeses in their mac and cheese. I didn't cook it. I don't know, but it was good. But you know that sounds delicious. Yeah, I mean, you get more than three cheeses, and you're either going to get something really amazing or something horrible. Just a matter of, the, <laughs> it's a matter of the, it's just going to be a clump of stuff that you're going to have to chew like you're eating a baseball, or it could be something delicious. So it's really up to the skill of the person who puts them together. Did you cook, did, or did you I leave did. this all to your? You you help you help though you. No, who was the main wife, chef? Me, my wife cannot. Use a microwave. She's just not. No, it's just not. She. It's embarrassing that she can't do it. She can't do it. So I did it. I did it all. I've always done it all. Whoa! I, I, I used. A, I have. I went old school. I have a Showtime Ronco rotisserie, Showtime barbecue and grill thing. Remember those old infomercials, the set it and forget it thing. I put my bird in that. I had a 14-pound bird, a 9-pound honey-baked ham, did the mashed potatoes and gravy, did the uh, stuffing. I did wimp out and do the stovetop, because I like to taste the stovetop. Green bean casserole, corn, cranberry sauce, and uh, I think that's it for that. I think that's it. And then you the have apple. two girls, right? You have two little girls. Yes. So they're learning to cook from daddy, which is pretty cool. They are. I make them, I make them, well, they want to, but they enjoy making breakfast with me, which is mostly sitting on the counter and dropping stuff in pans, but they enjoy it. And they, uh, they learn to make spaghetti and things like that. They've, they're learning. And your wife looks and appreciates you and says, what a wonderful husband you are. Yeah. She hasn't starved to death yet. So, you know. I don't know if she appreciates it as much as she does, as as she should, but then who does? (laughs) Okay, any surprises with anything in the news this weekend? I'll tell you one thing. I was surprised at, Derek. I was surprised with this bit learning that the J6 committee is actually a little bit annoyed with their start. They've turned on her. Like she's a bad penny, and that would be Liz Cheney. They apparently this little report that they put out is all weighted toward Trump, and they wanted to do some other stuff. And oh, Liz said no, we're going to do, which is just goes to show you how much power they handed over to her. And apparently, uh, the J six staff is just angry as they can be that the Democrats gave oh Liz Cheney so much, uh, so much. And to me, it's all for nothing. I don't know whether anybody's still paying attention to that story. 
No. <laughs> to be honest with you, I didn't know they'd put out anything. That tells you how insignificant it was. Honest, honest to God, I mean, I've been off. Um, Wednesday was my last day on air, and I've I got to write a column today, but I, I still, I'm sitting there struggling trying to figure out what to write about. I, my favorite story, I do love that story. Anything that makes Liz Cheney uh, out to be Liz Cheney is something I enjoy thoroughly. But my favorite story of the week was it, it's in relevant reference to a tragedy. You know how the left uses everything. They, they don't even wait for the bodies to be identified or even accurately counted before they start ascribing political motives to the killer in certain situations. Mm-hmm. And a narrative takes place like in Colorado Springs. Mm-hmm. And uh, then it turns out that the uh, horrible monster up there who killed five people at a gay club is non-binary. He's one of their own. And watching them try to wrap their minds around that and watching CNN announce this story and then say, well, uh, we don't necessarily believe this. They're trying to get sympathy, but they start using the right pronouns, by the way, when they say, my pronouns are they, them, the killer says. Well, they're, I think they're trying to get out of the uh, the hate crimes charges. And I'm thinking five consecutive life sentences and then another, I don't know, 150 years for shooting 17 other people. And they're worried about the 10 additional years on top of that. They're really trying, like, you really think that? No, we're told that these people, that people do not make this up in any way, shape, or form. And it's a hate crime to even think that some pervert might say, I'm a woman just to get into a lady's locker room or bathroom. Yet the second a narrative of theirs becomes obsolete and uh, the standards they set and demand we all adhere to become inconvenient for them, they throw them away like a snot-covered tissue. It's pretty funny to watch. It's amazing, actually, to watch some of this stuff. You know, Tucker, they've tried to wrap Tucker in this. we got to take a break. When we come back, I'll talk about that Tucker thing, and we'll find out what else is on the mind of Derek. Hey, folks, let's ha- let's help Derek write his column today. Let's come up <laughs> with good stuff for Derek, since Derek has been so busy cooking Thanksgiving meals. Man, I, Derek, i got to say, you're a hero, you know, for I, so many I people. Know. Don't get your come on. We don't all wear capes. Show a little humility here. Look, I am the most humble person you'll ever meet by far, by a lot. Just way by far the most humble uh, person. You can tell by the way you're telling us how humble you are. (laughs) You get the joke. You get the joke. And, and I woke up for this. Be nice. I woke up for this. I could have just hit the button and said, nah. Okay, you got a point. Hold on, Derek Hunter's <laughs> with us, ladies and gentlemen. James Golden, A.K. Snurdly. I've been up since two o'clock this morning, so I have no sympathy. I just woke up, Derek Hunter. Um, Derek Hunter is with us on Bo Snurdly. Well, it is our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Eight hundred two eight. No, I started to give the rush show number. Oh, wow! Force a habit. Yeah, 800-848-WABC is the number, 800-848-9222. We're coming back right after this. Bo knows politics and so much more. A true connection to real New York on 77 WABC. Yeah, Diego's uh, turning them up up there. 
What made you pick this one, Diego? I don't know. I just thought about it. I, and I was like, yeah, let's do it. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley with you. Derek Hunter is with us. The Chef Supreme, Derek Hunter. Hey, right, uh, Derek. James. Yes. You, uh, you love music. Did you see the sad news this morning about music, about uh, Irene Cara? No. I'm looking at the UK Daily Mail right now. Breaking as of a few minutes ago. Oscar-winning flash dance. What a feeling. Singer Irene Cara is found dead in her Florida home. Aged just 63. Oh, no. Really? Wow. Well, that was certainly a huge, a huge part of uh, the disco era. Fame. Like right at the end of it, wasn't it? I guess 81-ish? Yeah. And I don't know the exact year. I don't, I don't, yeah, but I mean, it was huge. She was huge. And, of course, I will always remember her with Maniac, you know, the Pete Cimbello song, Maniac. So. Wow, that's, yeah, sad news. The uh, Buttigieg story I was talking about, now Buttigieg was on Twitter. He intact the entire right wing. Oh, yeah. Okay, who set up, listen to this, this, he, we apparently, the entire right wing, we set up the, the LGBTQ community to be hated and feared simply because we find it useful. Mm Mm-hmm. This is the kind of stuff. This man is it's supposed like to be. He was in on the meeting. It was like he was in on the planning meeting. He's got to obviously. We're, next time we have our right wing conspiracy meeting, we're going to have to do a lot better job of screening people, James, because the left obviously has a spy amongst us. Yeah, if you're a politician or a media figure who sets up the LGBTQ community to be hated and feared, not because any of us ever harmed you, but because you find it useful then don't you dare act surprised when this kind of violence follows. Don't you dare act surprised. Well, Tucker took him to school on that. You know, Tucker said it's not like Pete Buttigieg wants to talk about how things are going over at the Transportation Department, which he supposedly runs. Short answer, no. Try to find baby formula. I was in the grocery store Wednesday picking up some last-minute things that I'd forgotten, and I walked past the baby aisle, and I always try to make note, mental note, to check and see if Mr. Pete, Secretary Mayor Pete, has gotten off his butt and gotten back from his maternity leave and gotten that supply chain issue fixed, and it was as empty as it ever was. There were like two cans of some weird baby formula I'd never heard of. It certainly wasn't Similac or Infamil. Sitting there, and there's still the sign that says, due to limited supply, you only buy one can of this. And I'm thinking, oh, I hope Secretary Mayor Pete has a, a love. I bet you his kids aren't going without baby formula. I bet that's true. Well, when well Tucker also just said until a few years ago, Buttigieg wouldn't even admit that he was gay. He hid that, yeah. then lied about it for reasons he's never been asked to explain. Now he's happy to use his sexual... Uh, orientation as a cudgel to bash you repeatedly in the face of submission. And by the way, this bashing in the face of submission 
That is something, Derek, that we, we are, I want to continue to talk about. This bill that's up, this so-called Respect for Marriage bill that is nothing of the sort, that got 12, is it 12 Republicans signed on to that thing? Yeah. So anyway, after that criticism, of course, Chasen rushed out. You know, when you attack, when you attack Mr. Buttigieg, then, then Mr. the other Mr. Buttigieg shows up to respond. He said that uh, people, <laughs> he said, he said this kind of rhetoric is easy. It's so easy to attack people and to go yeah. on your talk show and fire people up about something that's not actually happening. It's, he never denied, by the way, that that Pete Buttigieg hid his sexuality for years. He never bothered to deny that. He just attacked Carl, uh, uh, Tucker for just saying, well, you know, the rhetoric is easy to uh, to say. It's, it's, the one thing that drives me nuts, well, the million things that drive me nuts about the left, but one of the things that drives me most nuts about the left is something in their reptilian brain, their collective reptilian brain, won't allow them to acknowledge reality. There's never been a better time to be alive. You as a black man, uh, there were certainly times when it was not good for you to be around. It would have been a really bad time for you to have been around. Um, Right now is better than ever for a gay person. There's never been a better time. There was certainly a time when it wasn't good, but it's for every human being, as a matter of fact. You go back 100, 150 years, and you cut your finger on a freaking nail, and there was a decent chance that you could die or have to lose a limb because of it now you just go oh all right i'll pour some peroxide on it put a band it'll be taken wash i'll use soap i've got running water in the house you don't have to human beings for the most of our existence we're all enslaving each other and our existence was waking up in the morning trying to gather enough food and combustible materials so we don't freeze to death and so we can eat so we can get up and do it all again the next day and hope nobody comes along and either just enslaves us or kills us for no damn good reason or says, hey, guess what? We're going off to war to fight with a whole bunch of people you never heard of. And it's great. We have it better than anybody has ever even imagined having it. And that includes the pharaohs. And we can't accept it. We can't accept it. Some of them can't accept it. They won't accept it because they're base of power comes from promising people that they're going to make things better. And since you really can't in most cases, you have to convince people that they have it worse than they do and that you'll improve it slightly. And so you get stuff like, oh, it's it's, it's so difficult. They drove this man, the hatred, and oh, the, this is the safest place in the world, this strip mall to go to this Club Q. And they're like, it's Colorado Springs, all right? Colorado is pretty liberal. Even if Colorado Springs is a slight purple, there's nowhere in the country where it's like, I oh, heard there's a gay guy over there. Let's go get the pickup truck and round up the boys and go beat him up. That place doesn't exist anymore outside of Hollywood and novels written in New York. So these people need to perpetuate this lie. And I don't know what's more pathetic, the people who like the Buttigieg family who do everything they can to perpetuate these lies or their drone army who believe it. But there's enough pathetic to go around. You just wrote your column. That's an excellent. (laughs) Yeah, I'm serious because look, I was thinking of the same thing. Um, I was thinking about that line of thought earlier. Um, After reading one of these things that that person on MSNBC, MSNBC 
was that uh, uh, um, the, the racist woman over there? Which one? Uh, Joy um, Reid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who was saying that you know America Thanksgiving was just an excuse of some sort so that we could you know get past all the genocide that happened afterwards? And I kept thinking to myself, what other country in the world does this? What other country in the world looks at its own history? with such a critical eye as these leftists in America. You can go through every single country in the world and pour through their history. You will find all sorts of atrocities that happen throughout the history of humankind. You will find all sorts of things that today we would look at as a national embarrassment. I can't believe that people did this. But nowhere in the world do you find this self-hatred, this self-loathing, that that liberals have for America. It just doesn't happen. You can come from the poorest, most impoverished nations on earth, and its people do not talk about their country the way that these liberals talk about America. It is disgusting <laughs> to look. It, it's true. It's I know just, it is. It's the, you know, I've been over to Asia, and I've seen poverty that I couldn't, on a scale that I could not believe. And yet the people are proud to be even they don't have the same sort of loathing about their country that these leftists have about America. And I I wonder what produces that in people, the the need to just overly hate your own country. I don't get it. Well, some people just can't accept how good we have it. And and they need excuses. Look, I look at the left a lot of and very much like. They want to be Pope. The political philosophy of the left is offering absolution. Instead of for sin, instead of for things that you did wrong, it's for, well, it is for anything you did wrong. It's for any responsibility in your life. Like Joe Biden is sitting up there in the balcony and blessing everybody. Everything that's wrong in your life is a direct result of a decision you made at some point in your life, even something as simple as bringing a particular person into your life. It is a result of your actions and your choices, but the left seeks to insulate you from that. Oh, you borrowed $250,000 to get a gender studies degree and you can't get a job outside of being a barista? That's not your fault. It's society's fault. So we'll take that burden off of you. Every choice they seek, if you are willing to buy into their philosophy, they are seeking to absolve you from, not completely, because they need you on the hook. But they uh, they want to tell you that it's not your fault. Now, if you're a loser playing Xbox, 30 years old, you're underpants, and you never really applied yourself to anything, you don't want to think that, my God, I'm wasting my life. It's society screwed me over. And so the Democrats are right there to tell you, hey, society screwed you over. Don't worry. We'll take care of you. It's unfair that somebody has more. Well, it, I don't care what you think. Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates, anyway, nobody is poor because somebody else is rich. They, uh, I heard the uh, Terry Crews quote one time, it was great, that his, some family members of his were complaining about they got a, they're owed their slice of the pie and blah, blah, blah. And he said, no, America is a kitchen. You get to make your own pie. You can make it as big as you want. You can make it out of anything you want. And the left is terrified that people will learn that. And so they need to keep telling everybody, you know, 
it's society screwing you over. It's your skin color. It's your sexual orientation. It's your your gender. It's your gender identity. They keep making up new things. To it's it, they're turning culture into signing up for Facebook, where you suddenly have fifty seven genders there. Like that's what they're trying to make out of it in order to perpetuate the lie that nobody is responsible for their own actions. It is society. Well, frankly, society doesn't know you exist. You're irrelevant to society. And by you, I mean every individual human being listening to it right now. It doesn't know we exist. I drop dead right now. Society goes on. Society doesn't go, let's crack a beer. We got rid of that Derek Hunter guy. <laughs> or James, Gold- James Golden's finally gone. He's been fighting us for a very long time. But now let's have a nice party weekend because we got rid of that guy. No, society exists. It isn't a thing with an agenda. It just exists. You need to get over yourself and recognize that if you want to find someone to blame for your sorry lot in life, find a reflective surface. Maybe stop reelecting people. A few years ago in Baltimore, the mayor of Baltimore went to jail because of a scandal. We're going to have a new mayor. Half the city council, four of the eight members, announced they were running for mayor, which was great because that meant you could you were going to replace not only the mayor but half the city council. And I remember naively thinking, well, this is a perfect opportunity for them to start anew. All they did, all the people in the city did was elect different people with the same crappy philosophy. Different people doing the same things doesn't change anything. You're like, oh, we must celebrate diversity. No, I don't have to celebrate diversity if it's all the same mindset. It's the mindset that matters. You can have any flavor configuration of human being in a position of authority. If they're stupid, they're stupid. If they're enacting stupid policies, they're enacting stupid policies. You're not going to change the outcome because you've changed the configuration of the human being doing it. I don't understand why it sticks in some people's brains, but it definitely sticks in some people's brains. And it's probably because they are that 30-year-old in their underpants going, I don't want to admit that I screwed up. I don't want to admit that I probably shouldn't be smoking dope every day. It's society that's screwing me. Society doesn't care about you. You're not that important. Nobody is. And on that happy note, Derek will say goodbye and let you get on with your column. You said something I want to emblazon. If you're looking to point your finger to your sorry lot in life, find a reflective service. I love yep. that. That's, that's, that says it all. Derek Hunter, my friend, thank you so much for joining us. Onward and upward. Your column is now written. All you got to do is transcribe everything you just said. All right, I'll get on that. Have a good one. Talk to you, Derek. James Golden, A.K. Snurley. It is our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. We're going to start with your phones right after this, and we've got a lot more to cover, so don't go away. Oh, knows politics and so much more. A true connection to real New York on 77 WABC. The story is true. Uh, the Daily Mail is reporting Oscar-winning flash dance, What a Feeling and Fame singer. Irene Cara has been found dead in her Florida home, aged just 63. They go on to say that many fans are refusing to believe the sad news because she was the recent target of a, a hoax, a death hoax. But she has been indeed found dead in her Florida home. 
63 years old, singer of the hit Flash Dance, What a Feeling, earned her an Oscar in 1984. Her publicist, Judith Morse, confirmed the news last night with profound sadness on behalf of her family, announced her passing. Hope you're enjoying your Thanksgiving weekend, even if you're pulling an all-nighter. One of my good friends out here is pulling an all-nighter. Yes, in the music world. Let us head to the telephones, Christine, Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome, Christine. How are you? Hi, Paul. Happy Thanksgiving weekend to you and your family. Thank you. You too. Well, I'm I'm dealing with these progressive LGBT people. I'm, I'm telling you, they make my life so much harder. This is nonsense about blaming the GOP every time as the boogeyman for all their problems. I'm like, enough of this. You know, I got called. Someone told me another trans woman, sir, said, don't be an Uncle Tom, because they saw pictures of me at, at the um, at the night of the election night with Laura Devlin. She was the um, Republican lieutenant gubernatorial candidate. So this is what I get treated to. So you get, as a transgendered person, you also get the Uncle Tom thing, too? Oh, yes. Oh, and it's full out and full force lately, too. Well, I'll tell you what. Miranda Devine, you're in good company. Miranda Devine has a piece today. Uh, the Colorado Gay Nightclub Massacre shows the Democrats' hypocrisy. And she goes on to cite the, the, some of the things that have been said. Uh, behind uh, this this the shooting, Anderson Lee Alridge. What, what Scott? What was his name? What was um? What was his name before he changed his name? Uh, well, Anderson was enamored with the Silver Fox on CNN and wanted to be the second guy with the name Anderson. No, it was uh, Nicholas. Nicholas. They they was Nicholas. They name was Nicholas. They name was Nicholas. Well, it's a it's a singular they them. I don't understand. They, 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 Anderson wants to be referred to as they, them, but it would be singular in this case. So they was named Nicholas. Them was named Nicholas. Them name was Nicholas. Okay. Thank you. Um, anyway, uh, and, and thank you, Scott. And, and Miranda Devine's uh, column, she also points to, Christine, you'll get this. There's a M- Michelle Goldberg who writes for the New York Times. She's an op- op-ed writer there. Miranda points out that that Michelle Goldberg, New York Times op-ed staff writer, didn't even wait until the bodies were cold before she started politicizing the massacre in in a piece called Club Q and the Demonization of Drag Queens. And so anybody that objects to this, and you have never weighed in on this, uh, Christine. I'd be interested to see what you think about this, Um, maybe when you call back in the future. This idea that these drag queen performances that are happening in schools, I've seen this reference time and time again in the past week, that the objections to that are what is leading to some of the violence. because, And, of course, they're attacking libs of TikTok. 
NBC is apparently, I saw a Twitter page that lives with TikTok. Uh, uh, she posted a letter that she got from NBC that they are citing her post in a story and they wanted her to comment on it. They're blaming her as usual because what she does is find in their and post in their own words what some people in these communities are saying. For instance, there's a teacher today she posted that has one of these um, 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 cards they're handing out in some Florida schools that have a Q code. And the Q code, this is all the teachers' union. And the Q code takes you back to a website that is alleged to have, like, pornographic and some other material on it. But anyway, so Miranda Devine's piece is worth looking at because she actually does go through a collection and a large assortment of some of the people like Claire McCaskill, who is describing the ultra-MAGA, semi-fascist demonization strategy. She says Claire McCaskill, former Democrat senator, was on NBC blaming Trump and DeSantis for the violence. And there are so many others. And I'll tell you what, the violence is the, whatever happened to the idea that we actually blame the violence on the person that committed the violence? Whatever happened to that idea? Let us go to Clarence in Queens, New York. Clarence, how are you? I am doing absolutely fabulous. It's always a pleasure speaking with you, Mr. Golden. Uh, I just want to say, number one, for many months, they had been sneaking folks by airport, by the airplanes all over the country. These people from these countries. Now, right, you have DeSantis and them bringing the um, migrants up there. What effect do you think that that is having on elections outcomes? I mean, because as we see, the border is going out of control. All right. More and more of these people are staying in contact with democratic organizations, and these organizations are still giving these people instructions. And how many of those manufactured ballots, in air quotes, um, are actually being produced by these shadow people? Now, you raise some interesting points. I don't know a thing about manufactured by ballots being handed to people i don't i have never seen that proved anywhere however you mentioned something that is extremely important and that is the organizational effort to flood this country with illegal immigrants something i talked about with todd benzman on yesterday's show so listen i'm going to address that in further detail when we get back your call is welcome and we'll continue here 800-848-WABC is the number to call us. Our Saturday morning radio extravaganza here on WABC. Our number one done. Our number duo coming up. Don't go away. It's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. Welcome to our number duo. It is our Saturday morning radio extravaganza here on WABC Talk Radio 77. If you'd like to be part 
of this morning's program, 800-848-WABC. Mayor Adams, by the way, we were listening to the interview that before the show that Sid, you know I love Sid. I really, really love Sid. I can't say it enough. I got to tell you, though, Sid, your interview with, with Mayor Adams, to me, I was infuriated by parts. It absolutely infuriated. Listening to Mayor Adams just glide by this question about how he favored these the sports guys. This is the guy, this is a guy, this mayor, that actually stands by, and you heard him with Sid, stands by firing city workers while at the same time giving these athletes a break under his COVID mandate. What did what wasn't mentioned was, well, I mean, Sid covered it, not a good look. How about the campaign donations that follow suit from some of these from some of these sports entities? Right? Well, our very own Curtis Slewa has called on the Department of Investigation to probe Mayor Adams dealing with convicted felons and his hiring of cronies with checkered past or questionable qualifications for these government spots that he's putting them into. Curtis Lewa, it's one outrage after another outrage. He wants to DOI to determine whether Mayor Adams is getting free meals at a restaurant owned by one of them, operated rather by one of his close friends. A pair of convicted felons, by the way, who have been indicted on 11 federal counts for allegedly taking part in a uh, check-cashing scheme, among other things. I was on with Curtis the other day, and he talked about one of the high-ranking appointments that Mayor Adams made to a, I think the job was over a $200,000 job. This person had what appears to be very few qualifications. So there's that. Mayor Adams is headed for to Greece. Did you know that? He's on his way. He's going to go to Greece for an anti-Semitism conference. And he's going to Qatar. You know what? Yeah, you know why? Because he wants to learn how to do the World Cup. You believe this? He wants to learn. You can't do this over the phone. You can't say, hey, can I have a Zoom call with some of your or, or a Skype call with some of your high-ranking officials there so we can talk about how to set up the world. No, 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 he's got to go. He's got to go there in person because, of course, that's what you have to do if you're mayor. The Big Apple's Jets, this is in the New York Post, the Big Apple's jet-setting chief executive, Mayor Eric Adams, headed to Athens, Greece. Now, we would all love to go to Athens, Greece. I saw a uh, show on, I think it was Paramount Plus, about some of the cruise ships and some of the Mediterranean cruise ships that stop over in Oh, beautiful. Who wouldn't want to go to Greece? Okay, but he's headed over to Greece to learn more about co-hosting, co-hosting the World Cup. His public schedule was released uh, Friday. He's headed over to Athens on November 30th to attend the 20. 22 Mayor's Summit Against Anti-Semitism. Yep, we couldn't Zoom that one. We couldn't, nope, we couldn't just say, hey, let's Skype this. 
This is the guy that fires city workers. The fi- that kept this city going in the early, yet he can just jet set all around the world on the public dime while he's talking about constraining the budget here while crime is still raging out of control. 12-year-old girl got shot on Thanksgiving Day. She was just going to pick up a little Thanksgiving pie or something. The subways are still what the subways are that he was supposed to be fixing. Yeah, but he can jet set all around the world. Yeah, this is what we get. I've been asking if I can have Mayor Adams for an interview. He won't. They won't interview with me because I'm not going to sit down and just tell him how lovely he is and what a great friend he is and oh how wonderful. I want to know. I want when, when he's running for president. Running for president, right? I wish he would. I wish that this guy would step on the national stage. I want to know. I want to know why New York City schools are in such horrible shape still. I want to know why he will not relent and hire these and hire back with back pay these city workers who gave their all in all to keep this city going during COVID, and he just just arbitrarily keeps them fired. He says, well, I inherited He told Sid, I inherited this from the previous administration. So what? If you inherit... If you inherit something that's inherently bad, does that mean you have to keep it? It was the wrong decision under de Blasio, and he had no no reason other than he agreed with it to keep it going on. And he says, well, we won in the courts, and so that doesn't make it right. It was immoral to let these people go because, and the more we learn about people that have side effects, from these vaccines or questionable effects from vaccines, the more we learn, like Pfizer came out a few weeks ago, I don't know whether you people remember this, Pfizer came out a few weeks ago and admit that they never even tested the vaccine to see whether it would stop the spread of COVID. Wasn't on the, that, that wasn't what they were promising. That happened over in Europe, and it didn't get a lot of coverage here in the United States because we don't want to know. We're past covid So now the news media here has run on to other things. They're not at all concerned about all of the lies that Americans were told. And there are still studies now that are being produced about what people are going through that have been forced to take something that they didn't understand and they thought they shouldn't take because of their health issues. And how that relates to freedom is a major deal. The idea that the government can make you, make you choose between making a living and taking a medicine that isn't proven to do what it says it is going to do. That is a big deal. It concerns freedom, individual freedom, and the liberties that were granted us as American citizens. And I am not going to stop talking about that because it is a major threat to liberty. And I hope at one point, at some point in the future, somehow that this case reaches the Supreme Court in a way that they have to deal with it and not turn it away. 
So, yeah, go ahead over to Europe. Go ahead to the Mediterranean. Go to Asia. Go travel around the world, Mayor, on the dime. Live, Continue to live the big life. Because, you know, you're Mr. Big, our GQ mayor. Meanwhile, this city is still dealing with all of the horror stories that the Democrats inflict on it. Letting criminals continue to... I thought that this city would have had enough of it, frankly, during the election. That they would have said, no, we're tired of this. It's an experiment that didn't work, this whole no or low bail thing. But nope, they voted for more of the same. So I guess in a way, they did win. And again, I'm not criticizing. I want to be very clear. I am not criticizing Sid. I love that guy. But I'm going to tell you something. That interview he did with 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 Adams, just I was absolutely infuriated listening at it. This Mayor Adams, to me, is helping to drive this city into ruin. It is only through the hard work of the average people in New York who will not be defeated because they have the attitude that New Yorkers always have a we are going to achieve anyway. It is only through the hard work of New Yorkers that this city still stands a chance to emerge from the horrors inflicted on it by Andrew Cuomo, Kathy Hochul, and these and this economic shutdown that saw so many New York businesses forced to go under. It is only through the perseverance of individual New Yorkers that this city is staging a comeback amid all of the difficulties and obstacles that liberals like Adams continue to put on it. There is no way, given where crime is in New York City, that this failed experiment with, with no cash bail and with this turn them loose mentality should be continuing. And it isn't just in New York. It is this progressive mentality that has inflicted almost every blue city in America. And if you go to almost any blue city in America, you'll see the same things. You'll see the wanton crime. You'll see the failing schools. You'll see all these mandates that were placed on the people. You'll see the economic effects of having to deal with liberal policies. And that starts at the top with Joe Biden. Oh, he and, I, he and Hunter were out uh, uh, shopping and having lunch on Black Friday. My only question was, hey, Joe, were you out trying to find Hunter a good deal on a laptop? Maybe a Black Friday deal on a laptop to replace the ones that he's left laying around? James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley, here on WABC Talk Radio 77. We're coming back. We're going to start in with your calls. By the way, later today, later this hour on our Saturday morning radio extravaganza, we're going to speak with an author, Laurel Gillum. She has written a novel called A Bellwether Christmas. And this is a perfect stocking stuffer. And we'll speak with Laurel. She's a journalist, a former radio, newspaper, television journalist. And she's also the wife of Dr. Michael Gillum, who is one of the world's leading 
astrophysicist and scientist. Great couple. So we'll speak with her about her her Christmas novel. It's a Christmas novel. A bellwether Christmas. Princess Di is supposed to join us. I think Princess Di is under the weather. But your calls will be with us to 800-848-WABC. We've got a lot, of go, lot to go here on our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Don't leave. Coming right back. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. Entertaining and informative. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, is on the air. 77 WABC. The Doobies. Now bring us back on WABC Talk Radio 77. Remember Cousin Brucey tonight with Music Radio. I was in a band when I was uh, coming up. We had lots of names for the band. We, we evolved over the years. The Flames, Cripple Crab was where we ended up. New York City Part 2. We used to play this one. This is one of our favorites. Everybody loved this song. What's the best band name you've ever had? I don't know. I, we, I mean, Cripple Crab was, was, you know, we got Cripple Crab from a disc jockey because he used to say, Hank Span. Hank Span used to say, Funky in a Cripple Crab without a crutch. Love that. I was once in a band called the Lunchbag Boys. Oh, that's a cool band name. The Lunchbag Boys. Anything could be in that bag. Yeah. <laughs> I love this song. It just it's just always makes you feel happy. Have your morning cup of coffee with us here at our Saturday morning radio extravaganza with the Doobie Brothers, with Diego, Scott. I never know who's screening. It's uh, Joe back there. What's up, Joe? Howdy, partner. Uh, I'm in the other room today. Yeah, I, I'm. What's going on? I, I, anyway, thank you, Joe. Absolutely. Okay, we did this, and then we're gonna head it right back. I promise we're gonna get to the phones, but I have to do this one more time because I want to hear it fade out. I want to hear it. I want to hear "Warm Summer." Diego, our very own Diego, who's with us every week, is also a musician, for those of you that don't know. This is his album, his new album. 
And Diego debuted this song for us. And we had such a reaction on Twitter, on Facebook. You can reach me, by the way, at BoSnerdly, S-N-E-R-D-L-E-Y. But this is Diego's new song, and it's called Warm Summer. And I can't get this song out of my mind. I appreciate it. Our sales. Sales are pretty good. Uh, They're mostly streams, actually. (laughs) I'll pull them up right now. That's our very own Diego. Warm summer. And Diego, you have to let us know when you're gigging around the city. Oh yeah, I think I, I'm in talks to do um, to do a show in December, actually, but it's not confirmed yet. Okay. So you know. But I'll definitely let you guys know. Okay. Put you a little. I love that. Who would you say is playing sax on this? It's a John Halliwell of Supertramp. That's Diego. Let's head back to the telephones, ladies and gentlemen. And people can find this song uh, where, Diego? On Spotify, Apple Music. Even it's on YouTube, too. I released a music video for it. Um, and it's under Damn. my name, D-I-E-G-O-A-G-O-Y-T-I-A. Agoitia is my last name. Okay. Diego, warm summer. Daniel in New Jersey, welcome you on WABC Talk Radio 77. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley with you here. It's our Saturday morning. Radio Extravaganza. Yes, James. Um, I spoke with you before about the, the sunlight hitting Alaska back in January. I hope to do that again. Um, my concern, uh, my experience throughout my life with racial hatred against me, um, I was never Jewish, but my grandparents were and my cousins were. And um, some of this stuff, is, it sickens me. Have you ever seen the uh, movie The Odessa File? Yes, I have seen Odessa File. Okay, that's the exact camp that my step-grandmother survived. Oh, goodness. She was one of 400 out of 200,000. The survival rate was less than one-half of 1%. Um, um, The the experiences I had, I saw terror in her eyes quite a few times. I heard her express uh, survivor's guilt, which was very ugly. Uh, In that movie, it's, uh, uh, it's a diary by Solomon. 
And toward the end, he says, he's been in the camp for three years. He states, states, I bear no hatred toward the German people. Peoples are not evil. Only individuals are evil. Now, that is pretty. Now, see, I love that philosophy. People in, of, in and of themselves are not evil. Only individuals are evil. And that's something we need to keep in mind. You know, one of the things that I, I was, I, I mentioned to Derek when he was on earlier that I've been thinking about this idea of why liberals hate America so much and why they are so willing to uh, to continue this narrative. At Thanksgiving, you hear it every year. Oh, if only the white people didn't come here, then America would be what it is and the genocide and the this and the that. I mean, I, I listen to Joy Reid talk about the genocide that happens in America. And this is a woman who supports the genocide that happens in American wombs, where we've lost over close to, in numbers, real numbers, 50 million people. And we had a call the other week said, imagine if those 50 million people had lived, how many people they would have produced. And at the same time, we have Chuck Schumer saying that we don't have enough people in America to do the work that needs to be done. While all this is going on. But I've been thinking about that because people on the left act as if everything is static. Okay, white people came to America, and therefore everything got corrupted then. There's never any mention of the fact that Native Americans were fighting each other. There's no mention of the fact that some Native Americans embraced, like, do you remember the French-Indian Wars? Do you remember that in our history? Is that even taught anymore, where certain um, uh, Native American tribes ganged up with the French? I mean, yes, they were Europeans to help defeat others. Does anyone think that history is just a static thing, that there was no intermarriage taking place, that there was... Look, the history of the world is the history of the world. It is not a two-dimensional thing, where because X happened, then X happened. There are trillions of human interactions that take place every single day. Trillions. And with those interactions, there is history that is made. And then to just isolate one thing and say, oh, white people did this. I mean, it's so stupid to me. It's almost, I I don't even understand how people think like this. One thing is consistent in human history. One thing, that humans will find a way to discriminate against other humans. If you can't find somebody that's a different color than you, then what has been the human history? The human history is then to to look in your own homogeneous population and find somebody to discriminate against. If you can't find somebody that doesn't look like you or doesn't think like you do on certain, then you go inside your own population and you start developing the caste. Oh, well, you're an untouchable because you don't have as much money. Oh, you're a Brahmin because you're smarter. Or you or you come from a different religious background. And you see, look, look at the way that the caste system in India was very similar to the caste system in Japan. Two homogeneous societies. And you look at the way that the caste system in Asia, in China, during the early feudal years was set up. When human beings can't find somebody to discriminate outside of their own 
race, then they start discriminating inside. Because one thing is one of the human vices, weaknesses, is this idea that some people have to feel that they're better than others. And this has nothing, it is not a racial thing. We make it a racial thing because human beings are so short-sighted. So in some cases, it's made into a racial thing. But this is this goes along with human the human race. And for those liberals in America to continue, and I love the fact that they claim they're non-racist, but then they blame everything in America that happened on white people. Really? And then we if we go back even further, I see I, I saw another story the other day about Hakeem Jeffries and how Hakeem is all for reparations. One of these days, and it may be long time since many of us leave the planet, one of these days liberals will succeed in getting this reparations thing up to a vote. I hope that I'm alive when it happens because I want to be able to count some of the silly arguments that go along with this. Oh, what are you talking about? Well... If we're going to go for reparations all the way, <coughs> give me a minute. We have to break. I'll continue that thought on the other side of this break. Don't go away. Welcome to the golden age of radio. James Golden, a.k.a. Bose Nerdly, is on 77 WABC. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurdy, here with you. Now, before we left off, I was talking I want to be around when this, when they finally get this reparations thing up and going. I want to be there. That's the doors, by the way, bringing us back. Because I want to do, I want to be on the, I want to be part of that conversation. I want to be the, and I also want to be the one like, you know how they have that uh, those ambassadors for, like, Publishers Clearinghouse? I want to be the one that goes and gives people some of their reparations. I want to be the one that does this. Hello, Miss Winfrey, are you there? Hey, hi, I'm Snurley. I've got your reparations for all your oppression that you went through. Here's a few thousand dollars, Oprah, for all your hardship. Um, oh, where am I going next? I'm going to LeBron's house after I get through with you. And after I go through LeBron, I'm going to go head over to the Michael Jordan household. And then, 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 after we get through with that, why, I've got a whole list of other Americans that I'm going to give reparations to for all their hardship and their toil. Okay, but then I also want to be the guy that hands out reparations to the mixed race people in America. I mean, and who the hell isn't almost mixed race from some, we have so many. In my own history, family history, why we have some descendants of Thomas Jefferson and not from Sally Hemings, by the way. We have Irish descendants. We have descendants from various places in Europe as well as Africa and Africa. So you know what? I want to be the one that knocks on my own door. And says, hey, here's a rep, here's a check that we took from the Irish part of your family 
that we have to give to the black part of your family? How are they going to figure that out? Do I only get like a percentage check based on the percentage of black blood? How how is this going to work exactly? And then how about those people that weren't even here? We have no descendants that were in America when any of this happened. Because then that's lawsuit time. I want to be there for that lawsuit too. Hey, I my family had nothing to do with this. Oh, and by the way, are we going to go all the way back and go back to Africa and go find the descendants of the chiefs that helped sell, sell their own families into slavery? And then are we going to ask them to participate in the in the big pool of money? Because they are directly responsible for some of what happened too. And then let's go and find all the descendants of everybody that did that, that was involved in this and make them pay. And everyone else gets excluded. There's no way, my point, if this sounds absurd, of course it's absurd. But apparently this new incoming over in the House of Representatives Hakeem, and by the way, can't wait till, if this is true, I can't wait till Hakeem becomes number one guy in the Democrat Party because we are going to go visit the Hakeem Jeffries family with our visits to Uncle Lenny. Because Leonard Jeffries is still alive, and we are going to go visit and look at the words of Uncle Lenny on a regular basis. Instead of just dealing with the here and now, we're here, we're now. We happen to we should be grateful to live in the nation, the one nation on earth where you can still, regardless of whatever humble beginnings you have, make of your life what you will, what your ambition, what your determination, what your work and your worth ethic leads you to, instead of focusing our children on that and the opportunities to make America an even better nation than she is, we have the left every single day in this country trying to tear this country down. And there is no other country on the face of the earth that has given more opportunity to more people, regardless of their race, creed, color, sexual orientation, or any other factor that you can name up. It's right here. Because we have a capitalist system that rewards people when they do something that their fellow human beings find productive. Give you a classic example. Diego, right now. Diego wrote a song. We love this song here. We play it. Now, this was his idea that came from his head. He executed it. He spent money. He spent his time because he has a belief in himself and his work. He puts it out in the marketplace. We say, hey, listen, listen to this song. Oh, wow, we really like it. Okay, I'm going to um, go drop a dollar on it. Now, if enough people say, I like this song, I'm going to go drop a dollar on it. Diego can be a millionaire, and then he probably won't be here on. Let's use another example. <laughs> no, but this is the this is the way it goes. Look, there's some guy whose family right now 
is sitting in some crazy badass mansion somewhere because he used to get tired of opening his cans with this can opener, the one with the little pointy thing, and he got tired of always being around. If I don't have a can opener, I can't open the can of soda, or I can't open this. So he says there's got to be a way to open up a can without having a can opener. And he invents what? It's a flip top. And right now, how many billions and billions and billions of people have used a flip top? And right now, his descendants are sitting off on easy street. Look at the, and people say, well, the American dream is, the American dream is dead, my behind. Look at this scammer from FTX. How much money did he raise on just what turns out to be another Ponzi scheme? Well, not Ponzi scheme. But look at the people in the tech sector every single day. 20 years ago, there was no, um, uh, what's his name, Zuckerberg business. At least it wasn't widely known. Go back in your own lifetime and look at the revolution that happened. I remember my good friend, Fountain Jones, who's an amazing genius, um, uh, engineering uh, director. Uh, guy. This guy's always been on the cutting edge of technology. I remember him sitting down for me way back in the late 80s, early 90s, somewhere around them saying, hey, hey, you got to come over to my house. You got to see this. You got to see this. I go over to his house. He has this computer, and he's showing me the screen, and on it is something that was one of the early versions of an Internet browser. I don't even remember what it was. And he's sitting, he's telling me, hey, this is going to change the world. This is going to change the world. I'm looking at this thing on the screen. I'm like, have you? I, finally, he's cracked, my friends. I'm thinking, some, finally, my friend has cracked. No, he didn't crack. He saw what the opportunity was immediately. He says, he told me, he said, you can be anywhere in the world with this. And I'm saying, like, are you freaking nuts? I'm right here in your house looking at something on a computer screen that I don't quite understand what the what's the big deal. He says, yeah, yeah, you, you better go get a dot-com name for yourself right now. Go to get dot-com. This was before the Internet bubble blew up because he saw the potential. Well, somebody saw the, and it wasn't Al Gore that invented that, by the way. And how many billionaires and millionaires and multi-billionaires have come from understanding early what the potential was for exploiting that device on their computer? It changed the way we do everything in the world. It doesn't stop there. There will be something new, that, and already there are discussions about what Web3 is going to be. I don't want to get into weeds with this stuff, but Web3 is promising to be the same kind of re- revolution that the web was. Right now we're talking about blockchain technology and how that will change the structure of society again. There will never be a time when humans stop being inventive. There will always be somewhere, somehow, for innovation. And as long as there is an America, 
and Americans are free to be inventors. As long as they're American and Americans are free to create and to develop their own intellectual properties and to bring those intellectual properties to the marketplace, there will always be opportunity. And instead of focusing on that, and what an amazing country America is, that we are able to have more freedoms to produce more things, to come up with ways that we can use our own intellect to create our own products. Instead of teaching that to American children, American children are being taught that they should hate this country and that they should put their hand out and have somebody put something into them for something that happened in this country long before they were born. It makes no sense. And all of this division, whether it's the left trying to blame everybody in the GOP for some crackpot that kills gay people, or whether it's the left trying to blame America itself for a history that took place by the will of God, because that is what the entire history of the world takes place by. They are focused on teaching children in this country to loathe this country. And we have to fight against that. James Golden, A.K. Snurley, your call is coming up right after this. Now, here's the soul of excellence, James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. I did not share it, but I did not shoot the dead. I shot Sheriff. Listening to the cultural appropriation of Eric Clapton. It's supposed to be they trying to track I down. Okay, look, play the Bob Marley version. I love Eric Klapner. That's what that's what um, what you call it, uh, Barack. No, not Clinton's um, Surgeon General. I used to call him Eric Klapner. But if you're gonna play this, you got to play Marley. Yeah, mm-hmm. a little cultural. That's what they call it, right? They do call it a cultural appropriate. Uh, uh, Thank you. The original. Bob Marley and the Whalers. Yeah. In my own town, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> 
Let's head back to the telephone, shall we? Christine in upstate New York. How are you, Christine? Good morning, James. I'm fine. How are you? Good, thank you. Um, first, I want to say I really enjoy your show. You break things down in a way that just makes a lot of sense to me, and I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, yeah. So the other thing is I've been, I stumbled upon WABC Talk Radio about a year ago and listened to all the, all the shows because I drive. Um, during the day for my job. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I can listen, which is great. And I'll tell you, I'm a little concerned about Sid. Um, Why? Well, since Bernie's not there, I don't know. I feel like he's kind of going off the rails and he was saying, oh, I don't don't need a partner. And I I don't know. I'm I'm just, I'm a little concerned that he's, going to crash and burn. Oh, Sid's not going to crash and burn. But I look, I hear, I'm, I'm glad you appreciate our talent, Sid, enough to actually even be concerned about him. Let me say something to you. Sid is such an amazing broadcaster. And, of course, when you've been with a partner, and you've been with a partner for years and years, there's a period of adjustment when this tragedy of us losing Bernie, there's going to be a period of adjustment. But you watch. Sid's going to come out on top. He always... I mean, you know, Sid is Sid. He's got a wonderful, unique sense of humor. He's an incredible broadcaster. And I'm going to tell you, I love that guy. He is so, he brings sunshine to not only on the air, but off the air. That's what kind of guy Sid is. And so I appreciate your concerns, and I'm sure he does too, but Sid is going to be just fine. Um, and, and, you know, give him a call during the day. Just have a chat with him. One time in the morning. We appreciate you so much, Christine. Thank you for the call. Let's go to Ralph in New Jersey. How are you, Ralph? I'm fine. Thank you. Uh, well, uh, James, let me get off this quicker. Uh, I want to talk about what Kathy Hochul is currently doing with regard to this uh, anti-hate uh, bill that he is about to sign. Isn't mm-hmm. this just kind of like political grandstanding? Now, you mentioned a, a while ago, Bo, about Black Friday. We're not supposed to say that because that is racist and you could be, you know, uh, be, uh, you know, taken under the, uh, the, the anti, the anti-hate uh, veil of Catherine Hochul, if you say that. Okay. After all, let me tell you something. You know, the- I read an article this morning. You may be, you're saying this in jest, but I think, but there was an article that I read this morning. I didn't bother printing up because it was so dumb that the origins of Black Friday were indeed racist. And I was just like, I'm not even going to give this any attention. Because it was just, it just, in America, Black Friday has always been the shopping day after Thanksgiving, and we understand what the meaning is here. And, I mean, again, people who look for this racism stuff everywhere, under everything, I'm not that guy. But I appreciate the call so much, Ralph. Appreciate it. Let's go to Elmwood Park. Rick, how are you? James, how are you doing today? Good, thank you. Trying to get you a speakerphone there. Um, I've been talking to Curtis the last few days, and I've been trying to reach him on the global warming thing, and all he shouts at me is, I believe in global warming. Anyway, I want to challenge him to a debate. Okay. Hey, Curtis, somebody here wants to challenge you to a debate, and I would love to hear you do it. You know, Curtis debates me on music, and it's poor guy. 
Um, and and we are going to have Curtis and I. Actually, Curtis has said he's going to do a disco show, which is going to be pretty amazing. And um, you know, like, so I'll, I'll let him know that you want to debate him uh, on his show, and um, just uh, stop yelling at you that he believes in global warming. Okay, so Rick, I appreciate that very much. Thank you. Mike, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. How are you, Mike? How you doing, Bo? Let me just get off the deck here. I'm looking at the ocean. It's going to be a nice day today. I'm a snowbird here. Um, so many so many different areas, uh, Bo, uh, and your Saturday marathon. I was a drummer back in the day. And nice. Kobe Brothers. Oh, yeah. Uh, Pink Champagne Sparkles, Zildjian Symbols. I was listening on my uh, phone. I can listen to them all day. Eric Clapton and Wynton Marsalis yesterday. Oh, you know, lovely. I played jazz, blues, uh, uh, you know, uh, Motown, you know, rock and roll, everything. And I'll tell you what, uh, uh, Bo, I called you from the Poconos, and I was in um, Lake George early this year. But I got to start with this. I grew up in Oceanside in Rockwell Center area. I spent uh, over 60 years at Long Beach Boardwalk, and who do I meet at Long Beach Boardwalk? And we became friends, Bernard McGurk. And Bernie has a son and daughter like I do. Bernie's daughter uh, played volleyball at Cortland. My son was a wide receiver at Cortland, same graduating ceremony. Same with my man, Dominic Carter. And I'll tell you this, uh, I know you got people on deck, and then, you know, uh, uh, always a good show, Bo, but I'll tell you this. I called up Curtis earlier today, and he's talking about Eric Adams, like you mentioned, and your reparation, I was crying with Sharpton. You know, I mean, uh, what's going on in our country? It's getting worse as the years go by. I'm 68 years old, same age as Curtis, and same age as uh, uh, Sharpie Sharpton. But uh, you know what? You got your finger on the pulse, Bo, uh, of everything. And uh, where's my drumsticks? By the way, before um, I hope they're big furs. The <laughs> <laughs> you, you grew up in Queens, I know that. But what musical instrument, Bo, did you play? Six string, four string. I played trumpet, and I tried to play piano when I was a kid. And oh, the piano lessons did not go so well. I did a recital. You know how you got to do these little piano recitals. So my piano teacher had me do like the walk of the elephant. And I turned it into the elephant meets voodoo nightmare. It was horrible. I screwed it up so bad that my parents actually were like, well, you know, maybe piano's not your instrument. So they, <laughs> we you know want to play. The... <laughs> what? Mm, man, that was something. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, those are, but I still play keyboards a little bit. I, I now I'm self-taught. I wish I had stuck with it. Um, and I play around on the drums and I play around still. I had a, a, a trumpet and a flugelhorn. I just don't have time to practice. So, you know, maybe if I ever, ever, ever get time, I'll go back and, and try to get my chops back in, in shape. But, uh, but I love listening to music now. And I realize, by the way, I grew up with guys that have gone on to be at the top of the music industry. And one of the things that I realized was that I loved broadcasting more than I loved anything else. And so I made a choice when I was a kid. I'm, I'm like, do I want to be a mediocre musician or do I really want to do what I'm passionate about, which was radio? 
And I said, I want to do radio. And that's what led me here, all those steps. But I still love music, and I loved um, um, my time in music radio because I got the best of both worlds, and I love talk because I got the best of, um, I was always into politics and reading. I tell you, God gives you what you need in your life. I am a firm believer in that. And so I have it, as far as I'm concerned, I have it all. I get to do music. I get to do politics. I get to do all the things that I'm passionate about. And uh, I couldn't be more blessed, and I appreciate that so much. Let us go very quickly to Mark in Long Island. Hi, Mark. Welcome. You're on WABC. Good morning, Bo. Always a pleasure. Great show this morning. I'll try and be brief. Uh, this thing with Adams going all over the world, and he just wants to put himself on top. Believe me, he will be coming on Sid's show if Sid's show was number 10, not number 1, as your radio station is. I mean, I listen to you guys all the time. And as far as uh, the vaccine, I, I really believe, first of all, in the Washington Post, which is not the New York Post, obviously, they helped form 202. More people have died recently, this is from the Washington Post, have been vaccinated from COVID than the unvaccinated that died. And that's from the Washington Post, Health Forum 202. Hold on, hold on, you are not lying. It was in there. I read that. Now, let me just say this. WABC is the number one talk station in not just New York, but around the country. So when we say number one, we mean it. And it's to do to folks just like you. We appreciate that. You know, James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley here. It is our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. We're coming back. Our number one done. Our number duo done. Our number trio coming right up after this. Don't go away. Keep it right here. If you want to be part of the program, 800-848-WABC. 848-9222. Coming back right after this. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. Well, welcome indeed. Our number trio, James Golden, a.k.a. Snurdly, here with you. You want to be part of the program, 800-848-WABC. We have a packed hour. In just mere moments, we're going to be speaking with an author. She has a Christmas novel. Laurel Gillen will be speaking with her also later in this hour. Stay tuned. You may not know his name, but many of you have seen the movie. If you have enjoyed the movie The Chosen, the series, we'll be speaking with Angel Studios' Jordan Harmon, one of the forces behind that, that movie series. And that movie series, by the way, um, the latest episodes, are on the big screen, and it is competing. It is competing with the big boys, number three overall. And it is a delightful presentation, so great for this season. So you'll want to stick around for that Angel Studios, and we'll find out more about the work that they're doing and what the movie The Chosen was about and how it's being received. Meanwhile, let us go to Laurel Gillen, who's with us right now. Laurel, good morning. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. Good morning, James, and uh, Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas. This first time, yes, indeed. We are officially now in the Christmas season. Yes, we are. <laughs> you have a Christmas novel. 
Now, one of the things that I have to say, I have, I'm holding it in my hand, a bellwether Christmas. I want to find mm-hmm. out about it. And I think this is a perfect book, especially if you have um, a, a young readers in the house, a perfect yes. novel, but for all ages. And I want to learn a little bit of, about that. But first, tell us a little bit about yourself. You're a journalist. Your career was in journalism, newspaper, yes, TV, it was. radio. I started out in radio. I started out in radio. <laughs> I was yes. a, a news reporter and uh, an editor. You know, I've, I've done uh, newspaper editing, magazine editing, and uh, television reporting. And now, uh, but in the last, you know, few years, since I've been married, I've been mainly helping my husband with, we have a production company and we did a movie and um, it's been quite a ride. It's been quite a ride, but I've always wanted to write a book and this is my first book. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, very suddenly I got, God gave me this download of a plot and it, and after that, it all just uh, flowed. So so the Here book takes place in medieval Italy. Why Middle East? Who who picks this? You do. Why? <laughs> tell us. Tell us about the book. Tell us. Tell us about a bellwether Christmas. What is this book okay. about? Well, I'll tell you a, a little synopsis of what the book is about. And yes, it takes place in medieval Italy, and there is a, a a lamb named Bart, and he's an orphan, and he's very headstrong and impetuous, and he's always getting in trouble, and he feels like he doesn't fit in. And then he hears uh, from uh, a, a lark and then a, a hare, and he hears about this mysterious man from Assisi who talks to animals and tells them about things like love and belonging. And this little lamb, Bart, is, becomes determined to meet this man. Um, and meanwhile, it's getting closer and closer to Christmas. Christmas is almost here, and this Christmas is going to be very special because there's going to be a brand new type of celebration, and uh, it's one that we still do today, but this is where it started. And uh, I had – go ahead. No, 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 keep going. You had what? Oh, I had several experiences that that led to this book, Uh, and the first was that I took my little grandmother. She was 80 years old at the time. I took her to Italy uh, many years ago. Uh, and it was something that she had just always wanted. She'd never left the country. She always wanted to go. So we went. And I fell in love with the countryside there and with the stories, in particular with the stories about uh, St. Francis and the early Franciscans. And um, when I came back, I started researching them and researching that time period. I always loved medieval time period anyway. Um, And this was like the 13th century. And I always thought, you know, this would be a great setting for a book. But the book never came to me, so I kind of, you know, put that research aside and just went on with my life. Um, the second thing is, though, we had an adopted son, uh, and we adopted him when he was four, and we realized very early that he had an incredible affinity with animals. They loved him. He loved them. And he started adopting uh, farm animals. We, he started with an older horse and then two little sheep, two little lambs, and then he adopted a wild uh, donkey and her foal. So we ended up with all these, you know, barnyard animals. And because I was helping him take care of them, I got to know their personalities and their behaviors. And these ended up being, you know, influencing the characters in my book because I could use their actual personalities. And then the third thing was that... um, because I'd researched uh, 
you know, the, the Franciscans, I knew something that most people didn't know, which is that um, something we celebrate every, you know, we, the way we celebrate Christmas every year, putting out creches and manger scenes and nativities, that is uh, something that uh, wasn't around 800 years ago. But uh, 800 years ago, Francis came up with the idea of doing this, reenacting the night of Jesus's birth using live animals and a, a manger scene and, and uh, you know, uh, people coming late at night on Christmas Eve with candles. All that was started by uh, St. Francis. So then, you know, I'd, I never put, connected the dots of these, of these things, but God did it for me because at one time, after, a few years ago at, around the Christmas season, he all of a sudden just downloaded the whole idea for this book. And then I took a look at it and I said, well, this is kind of a book for older children. But uh, when I wrote it, I wrote it at the fourth to sixth grade level. So, you know, kids in that age group could read it, but it was really meant for adults as well. And a lot of adults have told me they really love it. And uh, it's also something you can read to younger children and they'll, they'll enjoy it. I think. You know, it's an amazing art and science. I have a uh, four year old great nephew And I'm telling you, this kid is amazing. I see him with his iPad. I mean, it's almost like he's a miniature adult. He's sitting, he's sitting, he he eats his meals, some of them with his iPad in front of him while he's, you know, doing uh, his. And I'm amazed that writers, that there are people who can write for four-year-olds. And there's sometimes he will just burst into laughter and and over (laughs) something that he's seeing. And already, by the way, he's doing addition, he's doing subtraction, he's following along, he talks to me. Michael would love this, your husband. He talks to me about about propulsion and engines, and I'm like, what the heck is going on? So when you say you wrote this for a grade level, that always amazes me, that there are people who can actually get in the heads of younger or remember what it's like and write to people of a certain age. Is that as difficult as it sounds? Not, not really. Well, I, I, you know, it took some effort. Um, I had to, I had to be careful about, you know, my sentence structure. It had to be more simple sentence structure. I couldn't do complicated sentences. I couldn't use vocabulary that was too uh, difficult. So I had this, this huge, you know, list of vocabulary, and I would check words and make sure that they weren't, uh, you know too difficult for someone in say fifth or sixth grade. And, uh, but mostly I think I just, I just channeled what I used to read when I was 10 years old. I just devoured books and I loved, you know, a wrinkle in time. And I loved everything that uh, Marguerite Henry wrote about horses. And, you know, I just thought of all these books and these kind of classic books. And that was what I was kind of channeling when I was writing. Wow. I used to devour books too, but I didn't read. I read, I read, believe it or not, I used to read like Tom Swift, the Bobsy Twins. Um, <laughs> I mean, I did when I was a kid. I read all of those books. I read. That's great. And, um, um, there was the, uh, I'm trying to remember the other one. I remember the title of the book. No, Nancy Drew. I used to love Nancy right, Drew right. novels, right. Larkspur Lane and all that. I used to read all of those books. I used to devour those books and a little prince. And there were some Christmas stories, but, you know, there weren't a lot of Christmas-specific books for kids back then. 
Um, and no, so there still aren't that many at, at this at this level. You know, this is kind of a, this is a chapter book. This is a novel. At this level, there aren't very many at all because that was one of the first things I did. I went and looked, and I was like, no, there aren't a lot. But and and I don't know a lot of Christmas books that they say are Christmas books. It really just means it's set at Christmas time, and everybody's you know making cookies and hanging up stockings. And, but that's uh, as far as it goes in terms of being about Christmas. And but my book is really about the Christmas message and the Christmas meaning. And uh, so I consider it a true Christmas book. And it's called A Bellwether Christmas. And where can people find it, especially in yes. time for the holidays? Where can people find this book? They can find it um, wherever books are sold and also at the publisher's website, faithfultext.com, where they'll get 15% off. Uh, a Bellwether Christmas can be found, yeah, at faithfultext.com. 15% off. Oh, and I should add, it's, I, I've already won two awards for this book, uh, a Reader's Choice and American Book Fest Awards. So I'm really happy about that. And I'm really happy to be on your show, James. It's really been wonderful. It is my pleasure. Look, you mentioned in passing the movie, and you're, you had an award-winning movie, Little Red Wagon. Yes, and we hope to, that this book will become a movie. Uh, we already have somebody uh, working on the script. So um, perhaps in a couple of years, you'll see this in your in the movie theaters. Now, you also do a blog. You are so talented. I, I, it amazes me. People can just produce and produce and produce as much stuff. You have a blog that you do, which I happen to love. It's called God and Gardening. Talk to us. For, yeah. What's that yes. about? Well, I've, I'm a lifelong gardener. And um, I do some of my best reflections when I'm, you know, standing in my garden or weeding or, or digging in the dirt. I, I just love that. And so I started thinking, well, I'm going to start writing this blog, uh, just very short uh, essays, uh, kind of connecting something about gardening and something about God. Because it turns out there are so many uh, things in the Bible that reference um, uh Things like, you know, trees and crops and um, animals and uh, being part of the vine. And, and there's so many references there. And I think that being a gardener kind of gives you a little bit of insight into what those things mean. So um, every time I uh, I put up a new blog, you know, it's, it has some kind of connection. But I also always put in a little uh, little tip, a little gardening tip that I happen to like that I've, I've learned over the years. So it's, it's a lot of fun and uh, people seem to like it. So um, I'm, I'm surprised somebody hasn't, hadn't done it before, <laughs> but, but. Uh, you were so amazing. I, you, you, what an, you just a burst of creativity and it's just, it's just overflowing. Um, now again, a bellwether Christmas people can find wherever they get books. It's you mentioned already. It's already won awards this year. And A Bellwether Christmas, the novel, you said, can be found. Give the publisher one more time, please, Laurel. Yes. Yeah, besides the normal places, it, it's uh, the publisher is faithfultext.com. And it, it's offered at 15% off at the publisher's website. Wonderful. So thank you so much. Now, we didn't even talk about your husband, who <laughs> is <laughs> your <laughs> Tell everybody who your husband is. Oh, he's Michael Gillen, Dr. Michael Gillen, or Dr. G, as he's called. You know, he was uh, on ABC News science editor for 14 years, and he does right now, he's uh, doing a really popular, uh, um, he, he does a really popular podcast called Science Plus God with Dr. G. And, uh, he, you know, he's also, as I said, he's, he's done uh, movies and 
Uh, he does lots of stuff. Uh, so it's he's been one of the most show. amazing really human. Your husband is one of the most amazing human beings I have ever had the pleasure of speaking with. Both of you. Well, that's are. that's wonderful. That's wonderful. He, we we really enjoy you as well, James. And well, <laughs> you're a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Laurel Gillen. The book is A Bellwether Christmas. One more time, the publisher, a faithful text.com, T E X T, a faithful text.com. And you can find it also if you go on Amazon or you get 15% off, you go right to the publisher. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, wherever you get your books. This is a perfect book for your kids to open up on Christmas morning, by the way. Yes, thank you. That's true. Thank you so much, James. Well, thank you. It is a pleasure to have you, Laurel. James Golden and A.K. Sternly coming back later on. The Chosen. If you have seen this movie, it is a I, movie. It is a multi-series, The Chosen, and it is incredible. And we'll speak with one of the forces behind that, producer Jordan Harmon, later on in the show. Meanwhile, we've got more of your calls coming. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurly, here we are. It is indeed the Christmas season. We're going to celebrate this year, too. COVID's over. No more mask. No more none of that stuff. Well, I know people are still coming down with it, but we're going to celebrate anyway. James Golden, a.k.a. Sturdly, 800-848-WABC. Coming back, your call is coming up right after this. Welcome to the golden age of radio. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, is on 77 WABC. WABC Talk Radio 77 in New York. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurdly, with you. The pointers. The Pointer Sisters. Yeah, I see you in the car, your head bopping. I'm here behind the mic with my head bopping. I love the Pointer Sisters. And they do some, for you, like, really in the weeds, fans of the Pointers, if you go back and you listen to the first album uh, by Cold Blood, Featuring, um, even though they didn't feature her as a singer, but she was Lydia Pence, who's an amazing singer. The Pointers are doing some background on that record that are amazing, too. So, And then there's Bonnie Pointer, who had her own release, The Youngest Sister. Bonnie Pointer had a song out that infuriated, infuriated the left. It's called Free Me From My Freedom. I don't think we have that, Diego, in the library. Maybe you can find it. 
free me from my freedom. And let me tell you, a lot of women on the left found this, how shall we say, um, uh, they didn't like it. This is Bonnie Pointer, the youngest of the Pointer Sisters. This record infuriated women on the left. Pointer, before that, the Pointer Sisters on WABC Talk Radio 77. Let's head back to the telephone, Staten Island, and thank you for waiting. How are you? Anne in Staten Island. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing okay. Well, it's always good when I talk to you and hear oh. your voice. Um, I always agree with you about everything, uh, whether it's the vaccines, whatever's going on. But, but. I, and, and, no, well, it's not a big but. It's a okay. little. It, it's, but. it's not a big but. It's a little but. The, the and you know, I like big butts. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a whole other thing. Uh, but then you wouldn't like. Uh, but little butts I, are cool, too. I mean, a butt's a butt is a butt. You know what I mean? Um. I agree with you. I do not agree with reparations. I think that it's ridiculous. I think it that never should happen. The one thing, though, that does upset me is that there's such little awareness, truly, of Native Americans. And they happen to be my passion ever since I was a little girl. Most of things that are told about them were written by Europeans. There's very little that is actually written by Native Americans. Yes, I have um, a book called Seven. Are you familiar with the book Seven Arrows? 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. By Hermiola yeah. Storm. Yeah, which is an amazing book um, that goes through a lot of the culture written from the perspective of a Native American. Uh -huh. And Seven Arrows is one that I found to be particularly good. Now, let me just say this. Years and years ago, the Reader's Digest of all, Reader's Digest did amazing work. They had a book that I loved when I was a child because what they did was they went through the um, Native American tribes of American. all. And this was a huge book. It was a coffee table book. And I remember being surprised as a child when they when I looked at the map that they had. They had a map of the American continent, and they listed everywhere that there were tribes. And America was filled. The entire country was filled with the various, I mean, we're talking hundreds and hundreds and if not thousands of tribes from coast to coast. And I remember as a child thinking, this is, I didn't, I didn't expect that just based on the way that I was taught history. And I'll tell you another thing that surprised me. If you go to the Capitol and you've probably, you may have had this experience. When you go to our nation's Capitol, you would be, I think the average person would be surprised at the amount of Native American artifacts that there are in our Capitol. And it takes you back in time to when this capital was first put up and where the country was. And there was a recognition that Native Americans played a huge role in the story of America. I, I, I cut you off, Ann. Go ahead and finish. No, I was going to say, because I'm a charter member of the uh, museum in D.C. I've been a charter member since they had started building it. And... The thing that bothers me is, and I'm not going to mention what show, I'm not going to mention the people involved. I've heard the most heinous, horrible comments about Native Americans on WABC, and it makes me want to cry. Now, I'm not, like I said, I don't agree with reparation, but tell the truth. You know, I mean, know, know the other side, you know, uh, I, you know, the Native American men and even some women, they enlisted in our military, World War One, World War Two. We probably wouldn't have won World War Two without the cult talkers. They right. were incredible. You know, I mean, give them some acknowledgement. They didn't all fight between each other. The Navajos were such peaceful people. You know, Custer was called a squaw killer for the raids he had and killed. And okay, fine, that was in the past. But you know what? Don't make them out. Somebody actually said celebrating Indigenous Month or Indigenous Day was like celebrating the Japanese after Pearl Harbor. I oh, sat no. here and I wanted to cry, Bo. That's, I, I not, that, that's a horrible... No, look, and I, I don't condone any statements like that. Um, but let me just say this. There was a lot of misunderstanding or ignorance when it comes to understanding about the Native American tribes that were America before America. And it is not just in North America. You go down through South America through this. Look, the world was here before we were, <laughs> you know, and, and history. The history of humanity is a vast history. And we need to appreciate all of it. And I so appreciate you, Anne, for bringing up Native Americans. By the way, I'm I'm um, uh, part Choctaw in my own lineage. 
So, you know, yes, I totally get what you're saying, and thank you so much, and Love you, love you, love you, and love you more, and Thank you for your call. James Golden, A.K. Snurd. We got to run because we got an interview coming up. We got to be on time for it. Be right back on WABC, our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Entertaining and informative. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, is on the air. 77 WABC. Rolling Stones bring us back on WABC Talk Radio 77. Miss you. For those of you wondering where Princess Di was this morning, our majesty, the princess, is feeling a little bit under the weather. She'll be back with us next week. It is our pleasure to have Jordan Harmon on the line from Angel Studios. Good morning, Jordan. How are you? Doing awesome. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, for those of you who have seen The Chosen, this is this is Jordan's move. Look, Jordan, I got to tell you, <laughs> a very, very dear love friend of mine suggested that I watch The Chosen. I was like, yeah, really? <laughs> Chosen, <laughs> and this came right after a conversation that I had with uh, one of my good friends who was on with us earlier, Derek Hunter. And Derek uh, had had uh, talked on the air about how a lot of um, alternative content, shall we say, is not produced very well as preachy, messaging, pointing fingers at you stuff that a lot of people don't really want to see. Right? Yeah, and it's so, a sermon in a, it's the sermon in a movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I said, okay, I'll watch The Chosen. Ten minutes in, I was hooked. Like, <laughs> good to hear. Wait a minute. First of all, the, what? so The Chosen, the first thing that got me is that, let me just be frank. It wasn't another white Jesus movie. I mean, it was set in the Middle East, mm-hmm. and it looked like it was set in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. When a bunch of Hollywood actors from Beverly Hills playing somebody that's supposed to be from the Middle East. It looked mm-hmm. real. It felt real. The me- It wasn't a pointy-in-your-face message. And The Chosen is about what, Jordan? The beautiful part about the chosen is the chosen being about Jesus and his disciples from the Bible. You have this massive community of people who feel so underserved inside the world today. And, and so at Angel Studios, our mission is to just tell stories that amplify light. And, and the way we do that is we decided, you know what, let's have the people decide what content gets made. And so we built the model as a studio where the people are the ones who get a vote on which projects get made through their dollars. So we actually help the chosen crowdfund 
which, you know, when we pitched Dallas on it, he was like, the director of the show and the showrunner, he was like, ah, we'll probably raise like $8. Because he had this little short film, <laughs> this uh, nativity, and uh, and we raised it over $10 million, almost $11 million for the first season of production budget. And then the other big thing was, is we just said, you know what? Our model is going to be, we're going to give Dallas, as the director, creative control. We believe in his vision, and we believe in what he's going to do. A lot of the things you see that come out of Hollywood and the experiences you have of these, you know, just the exact thing that you just described, is it's because it's some type of TV series or movie made by a committee. There's, you know, dozens of people who are trying to get in whatever narrative or thing they want in there versus a director or creator putting it together in a very special way and in an authentic way. And so when Dallas had this vision of telling the story of an authentic Jesus, we were bought in. We wanted to help and support him and get it out to the world. And what was the reception that you got? That, that's been the most miraculous thing is, uh, you know, we, we created a new model when we did this, where we said, you know what? If you're familiar with, are you, do you have any uh, kids or grandkids? Are you familiar with uh, Fortnite, the video game? I am familiar with Fortnite. I haven't played it. I have not played <laughs> well, I, Fortnite, but I, I am familiar with it. really either. But that video game, the interesting part about that game is the gaming industry is about seven or eight years ahead of the film and TV industry. And they launched a video game in 2015 that was completely free. And everybody said, hold on a sec. How the heck are you going to make any money if your video game is free? And, uh, and they ended up creating all these mechanisms inside of their video game for people to participate monetarily, but the game is free. So we created a very similar model where we made The Chosen completely free. And we made it free for the world, but people could buy merchandise and pay it forward and, and participate in the community. And the reception has been astronomical. So The Chosen has now passed over 100 million viewers worldwide has over a half a billion views and has generated well over a hundred billion in revenue. But the most powerful thing is that it's having this incredible impact throughout the world. That's it's a cultural phenomenon. And explain that. Why, what are people getting out of this movie? I think most people, and, and, and I'll speak for myself. I feel like, it's a the the way that Jonathan Rumi has portrayed Jesus and the way that the apostles have portrayed their characters. I felt like it's the most relatable version that's ever been created in history. And then I look at it and I go, man, you know what? That is how I view in a lot of ways, Jesus, at least for my relationship is that I feel, think he's a friend. He's a companion. He, you know, he loves us. He cares for us. He obviously wants us to follow his commandments and do what is right, but he's this incredible friend, and uh, that's impactful. And historically, Jesus has been a stereotypical white <laughs> man who who uh, is serious and potentially could come across as judgmental, and uh, and that's just not who I see him as. And so I think that everybody around the world, I've seen it time and time again, just rave about Jonathan Rumi's performance because they identify with him and they just feel so connected to who he is. That is one of the things that um, in discussing the movie with people that I, 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 after I was shocked 
at how much I, I, I could not stop watching every, I binged watched it because it was just, okay. And, and for those there, there, that grew there's up. There's a t-shirt that says binge Jesus. You can actually buy off of our gift store. <laughs> right. not, the, not the pitch merchandise on your show. But funny no, stuff. it's cool. It's all cool because I did. I binged watched it because it was just like, after you get through with one episode, it's like, okay, even if you know the story, if you grew up with, with a religious background, you still, it is a compelling story, and it is very human. It is a human mm-hmm. story. It's a story about humanity, and not just the good stuff in humanity. I mean, you see, you know, the disciples bickering and fighting amongst themselves, and you see the, you know, the, the various... The sort of things that happen in normal interactions with human beings. That's right. And that's one of the things that makes it a very, very compelling story. And now, of course, now it's the big screen. And this movie is competing with the top movies in the world. Yeah, it's, it's been remarkable to see, you know, when we launched season three of The Chosen, people are like, you're going to launch a TV series premiere of the first two episodes in theaters? No one's ever done that. And and that's kind of our mantra is like we, we do things differently at Angel Studios. We just feel like that's the, you know, Hollywood's broken in a lot of ways. And so we launched into the theaters knowing that we have this massive audience around the world. And uh, people showed up. And it was the top three in the box office over the first weekend competing with, you know, Disney and Searchlight, massive studios. And it's this TV series about Jesus. And it just, it blows people away. but when you're on the inside looking out, it actually just makes sense. When you have great content, one of the greatest moves, and, and you get it to the world with a free distribution model like we've innovated on, it tends to spread like wildfire. An example of this in history is It's a Wonderful Life. It's my favorite film of all time. It's one of the greatest iconic Christmas movies in, in you know generations. And the crazy thing about it was Traditional distribution failed it. It was a complete box office failure. Well, then in 1974, it drops into public domain. CBS starts picking it up and airing it every Christmas. And now it's this iconic film that so many millions of people watch. But it wasn't until it was free that it spread like wildfire. The only thing it had missing was an effective business model to monetize it. And so we're coming up with mechanisms to make free actually profitable. And so it's a very powerful, exciting thing that we think is going to not just change the world for the chosen, but there's dozens of TV series that we are developing and producing to bring the world more light. I love that because right now, if you look at, um, and I don't know how many, you know, of these channels you subscribe to, I subscribe to far too many, actually. A lot. Which I could I could never figure this out. You know, everybody in the cord cutting community was like, "Okay, we can't stand you're save money." Right, you're going to save money, and now you've got all these freaking subscriptions. And I I find myself I won't mention the name, but there's the first one that I bought. I still have for some reason, and I don't even watch it because it's all this dystopian, toxic, exactly. evil stuff that's on there that it's, it's, it's like who in their right mind came up with this perversion <laughs> i know, I know that's the strangest thing 
Uh, right. Goodness. So what else are you guys working at at Angel? Give us a hint. Yeah, so there's you know there's a, there's a few TV series. We have one called The Wing Feather Saga, which is a is a fantasy family animated series. It actually comes out and premieres on December second, uh, December second in the Angel app, and you're able to go watch it for free, just like every one of our other TV series. But it shows that a family is more powerful together as a unit than they ever are separate. I mean, how many movies have we seen where it's always about an orphan or somebody who, you know, people getting separate, like they have to separate themselves from their family to find out who they are. And that's just not reality. The way you find out who you are is through your complete family unit. Now, obviously there are principles that um, are taught there that are just so light filled. We're so excited about it. And then we have another TV series that uh, is um, called Truth and Conviction, which is about a boy who stands up to Hitler in Nazi Germany, 16-year-old boy. And it's just, it's an incredible series that I think will help um, more now than it ever would. Wow. Angel Studios, inspired. And again, where can people that are not familiar with The Chosen, where can they find it? Where can people find what you're doing? You just mentioned the app. Yeah, yeah. So you can watch all of our content free on the Angel app, and you can also go to angel.com, and you'll be able to find everything there. The Chosen, you know, uh, the Wing Feather Saga. We also have a hit comedy uh, stand-up series called Dry Bar Comedy, which gets almost a billion views a year, and it has all the it has the largest library of clean comedy in the world. And so we're just excited to really bring these beautiful stories because content really does mold and dictate culture in 20 years. And we've got to be on our A-game as a community to make sure that the culture is what we want it to be. Now, is there anything in Angel Studios that I couldn't sit down with my child or I'd be embarrassed if I'm sitting down with my child? No, there's not. And, 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 but that being said, our mantra is don't let Angel Studios be your parent of your kids. We expect all parents to watch the content with their kids, even though I watch everything we have on there with my kids, and I have five kids from eight to two months. Um, but I don't want parents to think that Angel Studios will be, will be their kids' parents. So <laughs> make sure that you always watch the content with your kids, regardless of how clean or good or uplifting it is, because that's an experience that you can have together that's powerful. Jordan, thank you so much. We hope to have you back many times in the future. Um, you're doing amazing work and, uh, some would say, thank you so much, Jordan. We look forward to to, uh, having you back and again, continued success on angel studios and your new model for bringing clean, decent, non-toxic content back into our society. We appreciate you. Thank you. James Golden, A.K. Snurley, coming back. Your call is coming up, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Coming right back. Now, here's the soul of excellence, James Golden, A.K.A. Bo Snurley, on 77 WABC. Ah, 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 Leo. WABC Talk Radio 77. You make me feel like, what?
Memory Lane on WABC. Remember Cousin Brucey tonight. And remember, of course, to keep it here on WABC all the time, get that WABC app. We stream worldwide. Anywhere in the world you are, we can be with you and you can be with us. Let's head back to the telephones, shall we? Let us go to Steve in central New Jersey. How are you, Steve? Hello, Mr. Bo James. Straight to the point, the GOP needs to continue to press the issue of election reform to ensure the integrity of the vote. The Dems are continuing to use this vote by mail to harvest ballots, and I believe, I believe my words, rig the outcome of elections. Seventy percent of all those polled, the exit polling here and these recent midterms, show people were dissatisfied with the direction of the country. Well, who's running the country Joe, Joe Biden and the Democrats. So this just doesn't compute. A 2004 survey by Jimmy, a uh, study by Jimmy Carter and James Baker, right, showed that vote by mail ripe for fraud. Now the solution is not, Mr. Bo James, as I've heard, not you, but some of your fellow commentators there to say, well, if vote by mail is here to stay. We got to get as good at it as the Dems. We got to get our ground game going. In other words, you can't beat them, join them. So we got to learn how to cheat better than them. Well, I maintain, Mr. Bo James, if that day ever comes where the Republicans do learn how to vote, uh, do, uh, benefit by the vote by mail better than the Dems, that's when you'll see Republicans get prosecuted for vote by uh, for election fraud and going to jail. The solution is no, no more, no more difficult than this, Mr. Bo James. Well, tie all federal funding, including for elections, to states cleaning up their election laws. We go back. You have to. You must go back. You want federal funding? You must go back to election day, and you ha- yeah, you can have an absentee, a uh, vote by mail absentee ballot under certain conditions. All right, the conditions I would be for. No vote is earlier than 15 days before the election for cause. You are sick, you're caring for a loved one, or you're going to be out of the country. You can prove it in writing with documentation. You must sign the ballot with a signature that's on a record with the state. Which I'll just wind up this way. To get the movement going, this only underscores why we need Herschel Walker to win this election. Let's not take our eye off that. It's 50-50 then. There's 26 Democrats up for re-election in 2024. Mr. Bo James, I don't think it would be hard to pick one of them off, at least one. I think we get more. All right, Democrats are on. There's a huge article today, and let me grab it really quickly. I'm sorry. It is in uh, ABC News, of all places. The 2024 cycle begins to churn for Senate and House races. The 2022 midterm cycle, not even done yet. Georgia's runoff, as you just mentioned. But here's the part. Democrats face a daunting Senate map in 2024. Though a surprisingly strong midterm cycle that saw them lose the House by smaller than expected margins has them optimistic. And it goes on to say they are going to be defending more seats, more seats, than Republicans, et cetera. Now, to your point about um, election integrity, uh, Kerry Lake has actually filed a lawsuit. And when you look at what is being alleged in Arizona, 
is that this there was a massive problem, massive problem in Maricopa County. Over 70 voting centers had something wrong with either ballots or on the tabulation machines, et cetera, et cetera, and she's not taking this lying down. Let me say this, and I've said this, and I could not agree with you more. I keep hearing people say we have to get as good as they do. No, we don't. We actually have to restore real real integrity to the election process, which means placing limits on the flagrant use of ballot harvesting and these mail drop-off centers, which Democrats used to warn against. We also should make sure we have the most technologically advanced society in the world. There's no reason why we cannot ensure legitimate identification for each vote, period. And we should not be timid about demanding integrity in elections. Let us go to Chris in Catskills. How are you, Chris? Hey, good morning, James. I think some people would argue your last comment, there's certain parts of industrialized Europe and even places like Singapore where they have technological advancements that we don't have because our funds have been put into the wrong places rather than infrastructure technology. Hmm, interesting. But, but anyway, um, I want to call about some of the comments you're making before. Uh, I hear progressive friends of mine when they're in, like, say, Democratic committee meetings on a local level, and they talk about feeling guilty for white privilege. And essentially, to me, what this translates into is that you're feeling guilty for the success of having a strong father figure, a strong mother figure. My father was a great man, and a lot of men would have walked away from the challenges that he faced, taking care of my mother, taking care of his children. There was a lot of health problems in the family. My father didn't turn to drugs or alcohol. He didn't go out to strip clubs. He didn't go out to bars. He stayed at home with his family. He took care of his wife. He took care of his children. And if the socialists had their way, they would want all of us. They don't want anybody to be exceptional. They don't believe in home ownership. They basically want everybody in in society to be mediocre or below mediocre. And it's it's not something that, you know, should be allowed. And, you know, I happen to be a registered Democrat and I was an elected official before. And, you know, the first morning after I got elected by 11 points and pulled a huge upset, I looked up the phone numbers of the Republican leader of my legislature and one of the other legislators in my town who was a Republican because I was the only Democratic legislator in town. And I called these men up and I introduced myself to them. And I said, I look forward to working with them towards, you know, making a better product for the taxpayers and for trying to bring property taxes down for the property owners. I mean, I was the type of guy I could knock on a door, get on a conversation with a Trump voter. And 30 minutes later, they were saying, look, I got property right out on the highway, prime spot, put up one of your campaign signs, because I made it perfectly clear to them, I don't care who you voted for for president or any other office. I don't care what your party enrollment is. I have a job to do, and I can assure you that I am the best candidate who will be your legislator. You know what they call people like you, Chris? Statesmen. You care more about your community than your own personal career. 
And that is something that is severely missing in our politic body in the national sense. People that actually take their responsibility as legislators seriously beyond and beyond partisanship. And I am not opposed to partisanship. I think partisanship is a good thing. But I think also being good and being an excellent legislator at what you do is also extremely important and valuable. Thank you for the call. Stella, you're up next. How are you, Stella? Last call is probably yours. Make it count. Okay. So first of all, well, what I really want to tell you today, you had a, had a great show, and I learned so much. I'm definitely getting the book about what the Christmas, and I am definitely spreading the word about the chosen. I mean, things that I wouldn't have known if I did Okay, not. Stella, I'm so sorry. We have so much static on your line. I don't know where it came from. And uh, it could be us. could be you. But anyway, we had just had to let it go. And time is up. Just like that. Three hours here, three hours gone. Our number trio in the can. Thank you so much for being part of our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Thank each and every one of you. And thank you to our guests. We look forward to hearing Princess die this week. Hope you're feeling better, Princess. And we'll be back on Monday for Boston Early's Rush Hour at 4 o'clock. May God bless and protect each and every single one of you and your families. And we'll see you on Monday. Bye. Thank you.